What's up, Energy Fam? This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. I'm here with Peter Perry, investment banker at Young America Capital, executive director and podcast host at Energy Media, and managing partner at Jupiter Island Capital. And there's another one in there, chief revenue officer at Rev G. Peter, welcome to the show. How's everything in your world today, man? Dude, things are awesome. I'm here in, in Jupiter, Florida, and it's great to be a guest on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm I'm pretty fired up. I I know we uh, I think I had reached out to you if I remember correctly, but uh, you know I I'd seen some of the content that you'd put out on LinkedIn, um, and it just really captivated me. One because you're an energy guy in Jupiter, Florida, which like if you're not a professional golfer or an athlete or a celebrity, what the hell are you doing there? Which I'm curious to hear about that. Um, but no, it's it's interesting, and so I actually like out of the gate, I have a few questions for you. So. Out of all those roles, you're clearly a busy guy. Which one's the most fun? Which one takes up the most of your time? And which one makes you lose sleep at night? Oh, man, that it's it's all one and the same. So mostly <laughs> okay. what I work on is I'm an investment banker, as you said, at Young America Capital. I lead the Climate, Energy, and Infrastructure Group there. I have an awesome group of clients. And we have so much deal flow, which just means, you know, it's a fancy banker way of saying that we have so many people coming to us to raise money that we're just, we're really busy. We're a team of six in our small group. Young yeah. American Capital overall has 72 bankers, been in business since 2010. And running that group is is busy. It's a really a, an awesome time to be in the climate, energy, and infrastructure sector. Um, so it's it's really been great. Absolutely. No, I think there's so much runway, especially whether it be you know traditional energy, oil and gas, whether it's clean energy, renewables or whatever, whoever, however you want to label it. Um, the reality is there's so much demand for energy as we continue to move forward globally that like everything has a place, right? And there's opportunity. You just have to be connected enough or at least mindful enough to to identify it and capitalize on it. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I'm trying to remember the last, I don't know if I've had someone that's a truly an investment banker. I've had a lot of finance folks on uh, economists, stuff like that. But the investment banking space is interesting. We talked a little bit about it before we hit record is like, you're, 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 uh, you've got an initiative to sort of increase your branding and get yourself out there a little more, which I think is great. I, I, I love that. Um, and, you know, tell the folks what kind of your, your goal is there and why are you trying to create a brand around, you know, investment banking? Cause quite honestly, like it seems like somewhat of a boring space, but it actually isn't. And I think that there's a lot of white space for someone like you to come in and, and sort of brand yourself and be the guy. No, absolutely. So I like to, you know, think of myself as the climate banker, which essentially I yeah. think the biggest problem in the world right now is we have to solve this climate crisis. It's a big deal. Um, and I will say, I'll put the word crisis out there sort of a little tongue in cheek because yeah. I mean, I, I do think that really energy transition is a long-term play. So I think it's over the next... 50 years plus, we're going to be moving towards more efficient energy systems. But the bottom line is that, yeah, it is a boring space as far as traditionally it's been boring and people don't think of finance as being an exciting topic. But man, these are big problems and they need a lot of money. So we've got to be able to figure out how to make it more relatable to people, mm. how to be able to explain it in terms that um, the average person understands. And right now that's a big problem. I, I just got off my podcast with somebody that's uh, promoting heat pumps, right? Now, heat yeah. pumps, what the heck is that? It seems super boring. The reality is that it's not boring because it replaces heating and cooling and makes things about 40% more efficient. That's a big number, makes it easier for people to pay less on their power bills. And it's right. one of those things like, man, that touches you every day, like what you, what you pay for your power, your heat and cool your house, not something you think about. But if we can make it relatable, get it out there, then it's going to be able to make an impact. And that's that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, no, you 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 hit on a certain word that I want to circle back to. You said relatable. The, the biggest challenge in whether it's oil and like I live in the oil and gas world. Um, fortunately, I've been connected to people throughout different energy verticals, which I love. 
but like energy and into to, to a degree investment banking and finance it's like the majority of people are consumers right like unless you're talking about people within our space we're kind of talking uh, in this echo chamber but it's like that's what i love about social media and podcasting is like how do you connect what we do to like the everyday person right because they're the ones ultimately that are driving decisions with the, the money they spend and so on and so forth but i think creating that brand and having a good message being relatable and educating is so important and that's one thing that like especially in oil and gas we've had such a problem with and i think we're slowly getting better um but i commend you for for doing that uh what's kind of your mission i guess behind you know being the clean you said clean energy banker right that's the yeah or we call it climate banker right? or climate banker that's right the climate yeah. banker i mean is the mission to to just create awareness or is it to like ideally have more deal flow or or what's that look like no so ultimately um re really it comes down to connecting the best projects with the best investment investors for those projects that's what it really boils down to because there's thousands of investors there's trillions of dollars of capital out there and it's actually a problem because they don't it's very difficult for that capital to find the right home and so that's what we're trying to do because if that doesn't happen great projects don't get built and when we're right. talking about as you know from oil and gas this is asset heavy stuff and it changes people's lives for the better hats off to the oil and gas industry. I think we have to be uniting um, with the oil and gas industry. All industries have to unite all segments of the energy sector. The yeah. oil and gas industry, a lot of people don't know, has some of the smartest, most well-trained, most able to execute, deepest technology of any industry in the world. And there's no way we're solving this climate issue and moving to cleaner energy without the professionals from the oil and gas industry playing a, a really important role. And that goes for people that work in the oil and gas industry and invest in the oil and gas industry. We've got to, you know, sort of bring everybody together. So yeah. part of my mission is doing that, kind of finding that clean middle area where we can all agree and make things happen. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this episode is sponsored by 10X Technologies, pushing the boundaries of chemistry. 10X is innovating the future of the oil and gas industry with their proprietary materials-based technology solutions. With cutting-edge products like NanoClear, custom-designed nanofluids engineered to maximize the production of new completions and rejuvenate existing wells, 10X is driving a revolution in oil extraction. Meet Microhold, a specially engineered microparticle slurry that optimizes frac efficiency, props microfracs, and triggers far field diversion every well, every time sees the benefits. And if you're worried about frac hits, 10X has you covered with no hit, an innovative technology that mitigates frac hits via in-situ pressurization reaction. It's protection where you need it most. Then there's Sandbond, a sand consolidation chemical solution that's just another example of 10X's commitment to practical field-ready solutions. And let's not forget about Seraflow, a greener, cost-effective, proprietary blend of design materials to banish paraffin issues once and for all. That's 10X, where innovation meets application in the oil and gas industry. Find out more about their groundbreaking solutions at pumpmoreoil.com. And be on the lookout for five, yeah, you heard it, five new products launching soon. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, it's in, in a thing was talking to a lot of folks within the space, uh, and I say space and energy, regardless, that ecosystem is like most people are are pro uniting. It's like, let's take what we do well in this space and let's combine it with this and merge and and hopefully power the world. Right. And in, in the most efficient and sustainable way. Um, so, again, having your piece, I mean, that that kind of connects it all together, because at the end of the day, everything costs money. Right. And so and then if you're in business. The intent there is to create value for shareholders, which I'm sure you're well aware of, and you probably deal with that all the time. Um, and, and I'm going to get into it a little bit later on sort of the, the kind of that piece of it. But before we do, um, I'm super curious. and I know I'm taking a left turn here, but it just popped into my head. Juniper, Florida, how often do you run into Tiger Woods? I mean, have you ever caught him on the golf course or anything? I, I'm so curious. Yeah, so down here in Jupiter, everyone knows about Tiger, right? Everyone hears, <laughs> everyone says Tiger. We've also got Michael Jordan down here as well. So ah, that's right. The, I've never heard of the two of them being on the golf course at the same time, but I'm sure they have. Like, I know there's a lot of money that's being gambled in, in Michael Jordan's golf golf course over there where he lives. So there's no doubt about that. But I have run into Tiger Woods before. 
and actually at uh at, at the bike shop at the bike shop it's called tri bike run it's like a, a place where all the hardcore cyclists and people like that go and he was just hanging out in there so no way that's uh that's neat and and i saw it too of course i did a little googling because i was curious but like Burt Reynolds and Celine Dion, those are two other ones that pop. Absolutely. Up. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bert's from here. We we got a lot of folks, you know, uh Joe Namath as well, um, is is down here in Jupiter. So um one of the things, so people always ask me, what are you doing there? It's for golfers, but it's actually really a hub of the energy industry. And the reason is a company called Pratt Whitney. All right, it's one of the most advanced companies in the world when it comes to military aircraft and aerospace engineering. So what happened is is Pratt Whitney's here. A lot of engineers left Pratt Whitney and set up land-based gas turbine shops in and around Jupiter. So there's a lot of gas turbine engineering around here. A lot of people don't know the number one source of power generation on our grid today is gas turbines. So um, it's really an awesome place to be in the energy industry. If you go out to eat lunch around here, you're running into all sorts of power engineers. And also Nextera is based right up the world little shout out to our local utility. I'll say they, I think they're the number one utility in the world. And people come from all over Saudi Arabia, different places just to learn from them. Um, and they're, they're in the neighboring town called Juno beach. So it's a cool place to be. Yeah. So next year is an interesting one. So um, again, this is not a, any investment advice, but I, so I, I, you know, in oil and gas, they've got an arm called Trinity operating and uh, I got, you know, started dealing with them, started looking at Nextera, and I noticed their stock price was fairly low. And I was like, I'm going to take a little gamble here. They seem like they've, they're pretty well valued. And I think there's a lot of upside and they've done well for me so far. But again, this is not investment advice. But when you said Nextera, uh, I was like, ah, and then Trinity operating their drilling engineers, they are all here in Houston. But uh, the supply chain guy that I deal with is down there in Juneau. And so I told when I was uh, on the phone with him, I was like, hey, I need to come down there and, and visit with you. He's like, if you came down here and said you're working for Trinity or dealing with them, they wouldn't even know what Trinity operating is. But for those who don't know, that's their oil and gas arm, which I'm super curious about because I would imagine the returns they get in oil and gas funnel into their system and, hope, and perhaps pay for other things. I mean, what, what what's like why would nextera have an oil and gas arm like what's your thoughts yeah that's a tough one I, I, all i can say is this so they're a regulated utility here in florida they own fpl florida power and light and that's a great business model because you get a fixed return on capital right so really nice and then what they've done is they've invested in other states in deregulated markets now i can't speak to the oil and gas arm but i can tell you that they've made big investments in wind and solar they're actually i think the largest solar developer in the United States now, and they're wow. developing in deregulated markets. So their model, very smart in the regulated U market, regulated markets here in Florida, they run a utility and then the deregulated markets, they put a lot of renewables. So really brilliant company, well run and, um, you know, happy to have them here. Uh, they definitely contribute greatly to the tax base, let's say. Yeah, for sure. Well, if I ever go meet their supply chain gentlemen there in June, I'm going to hit you up because I'd love to come pay you a visit. Sure, Oh man. But anyway. I also like to give a shout out to the, the water here. Make sure you get out on the boat. Like everyone wants to play golf, but the, the water here is, is really unmatched, beautiful intercoastal waterways, um, and great okay. boating and fishing. That's what, that's what I like to do. And by the way, everyone, Peter has a uh, fishing guide company. He would love for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know people that do, so I can definitely <laughs> hook you up. Shameless plug, but no, I'll say this. So the first time I actually went off like fishing in, in uh, like not freshwater lakes and stuff like that, which I'm not a huge fisherman. It's just not something I really did much of, but I had the opportunity. And so I've, I've gone to Key West uh, and, and fished off the, off out of Key West for several years now. And uh, I mean, I don't know if it's anything like where you're at, but fishing off the coast of Florida is amazing. And so um, the water, the scenes, I mean, the fish, it's, it is so cool, but um, no, it's it's really neat, man. Because like I said, most people that come on here are from like, you know, the big oil and gas hubs, and so it's neat to to kind of hear your take on on you know being an energy guy at uh, Juniper. I think it's really cool. Um, I'm gonna take a pivot, and and I really am curious in terms of your career. I mean, you've got I think 20 plus years of experience in climate, energy, and infrastructure of sorts. Walk us through your career trajectory and then like what led you to focus on on climate energy? I mean, there, there's I'm sure there's something there that kind of pursue or 
sort of spurred your interest uh, in doing so? And now, so I really appreciate the question. And I'll say it started in fifth grade. Okay. I was really a big fan of Einstein. Right. And I loved yeah. science when I was in the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, when I was a little kid. Right. Yeah. And then as I graduated college, I, I majored in economics. I started with Merrill Lynch and this is in the late nineties. And all my clients kept cost of calling me and asking me invest in these dot-com stocks. Right. And I got <laughs> sick of hearing it. So I left Merrill Lynch, started a dot-com company and I spent the first half of my career in digital. I owned a dot-com. I owned an e-commerce business. That was the first half of my career. Did very well in that. And then I met a guy here locally who's named Bob Kraft. He was one of those Pratt Whitney engineers, right? And he left uh, Pratt and he started a company called PSM, which is the largest maker of aftermarket gas turbine parts. It's based right here in Jupiter. And that company got acquired by Alstom. For a, for a very nice exit. And yeah, Bob yeah. said to me, I met Bob just here locally as friends. He's a big time fisherman, one of the best fishermen in Jupiter, no doubt. I met him locally and he said, hey, I'm, I'm my company got bought by Alstom. I want to do something new. Would you like to be a part of it? Because he knew that I was a sales and marketing guy. So he brought me over. We started a company called Power Phase. Power Phase makes upgrade system for gas turbine plants, really innovative company. And my job was raise money. So we raised about 54 million bucks for the company. And I was like, wow, I can, I can do this. Yeah. Stayed with power phase through 2018. And then since then, I've just been addicted to the energy industry. I love it. It's a great industry. I love how it impacts the world. Yes, yeah. I did like e-commerce and digital, but it just felt kind of small ball to me, to be honest. And I really, um, in the same way I've heard Elon Musk say, some of the smartest people in the world spent so much time optimizing and getting people to click on ads. That's kind of a waste of talent. I felt that same thing in my heart. And I was like, I really want to touch the world and energy does it. So I love the industry. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a fascinating story. Um, kind of double clicking on, on the investment piece. Are you on, on like a macro level, are you seeing any major shifts in investment trends within the energy industry that, that you're sort of evolved with? Yeah, huge shift. So one thing, that tech theme, a lot of the smartest investors from tech are now investing in energy. Energy is replacing tech as being the hottest industry, sort of the trendy industry where everybody's going. When mm. I first got in it in 2011, it was a boring industry. Nobody, nobody really paid attention. Now, I kind of did like some aspects of that because it didn't have you know, lots and lots of people rushing into it. Yeah. But I would say now that really smart sort of aggressive capitals coming in from the tech world, that's one big trend. Another big trend is that you have to build physical projects in the energy industry. That makes it different from pure tech. You can right. build the tech you want, but it has to be deployed physically. So what we're seeing is a lot of the world's biggest infrastructure investors that traditionally had built tunnels, bridges, roads, sort of boring infrastructure are now moving into the energy sector. And so you've kind of got this sweet spot where oil and gas investors expect a very high return because it's very risky. Infrastructure investors expect very low return because it's very non-risky. So kind of that middle spot, we call it upper teens kind of returns, okay. where you're seeing convergence of big asset investors coming in. And it's a global phenomenon all over the world. That's another cool thing about energy is that it's global. So those are those are some of the trends we're seeing. And I could go on for a long time about other trends, but I'll let you jump in. Yeah, no, it's uh, that that's always interesting to me. I mean, when I again looking at it through my lens, it wasn't until I would say the pandemic really kind of was a catalyst for a lot of companies to initiate. The, uh, you know, their low carbon investments or really allocate capital towards low carbon uh, projects. The Europeans did a good job. They've been kind of doing it for a while, but then, you know, Chevron, Exxon, they focus more on like the carbon capture stuff. But from your perspective, I'm curious, do you see a bias towards renewable energy projects over traditional energy projects in the investment circles? And, and the one thing and to kind of add to that, um, so a lot of folks that I know that are that work for oil and gas companies that would call themselves now energy companies, they typically like to see an IRR of like, if they get, you know, they wouldn't invest in something unless it's like 12%. But like, from what I've seen, 
an IRR on a, let's call it like a low carbon or renewal project, like you may be happy with like six. And so I'm curious, like that to me seems like there could be concerns around scalability, commercial maturity. What What's your sort of take on that? Because I, I feel like that that's a huge limiter. And a guy I know at BP who's in their finance world, we were talking about this yesterday, actually at our son's jujitsu. And it's a very common topic of discussion. And now with interest rates, like, and I know that's a lot to chew on, but like, I just, my mind goes in so many directions when we start talking about this stuff. No, it's absolutely true. So oil and gas projects typically return higher. Um, but a lot of times uh, you're, you're trying to do something that's unproven in terms of the trying to find reserves, let's say. So yeah. what we're seeing is, is oil and gas investors are going more towards what I would call energy transition, which may not be wind and solar, but might be other types of things like batteries, battery storage projects that are doing a are doing good uh, materials projects. So low carbon materials, things like renewable fuels, like hydrogen, SAF, and some of these other areas. You mentioned carbon capture. So we are seeing another area, renewable natural gas. So we're seeing these investments in projects where I would call it more energy transition. You're 100% right. Solar, a lot of the returns are, are lower now. And with high interest rates, it's, it's become challenging. Um, but traditionally, in a low interest rate environment, um, you know, call it 10 years ago, solar could give you a real nice return. And usually hmm. you're getting like a 30-year power purchase agreement with the utility. So you may not have as high of a return as natural gas because there's always that correlation between risk return. But yeah. you have lower risk because utilities are the most creditworthy entities in the world. And you've got like a 30-year power purchase agreement. It doesn't get much better than that. So yeah, um, yeah, that that's sense. that's uh, kind of the risk return maybe uh, continuum we see. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. And I actually wrote a anyway, not to get into the weeds, but I had written a paper in grad school talking about um the difference between European oil and gas majors and then the US oil and gas majors and their business strategy. And and I and I say that to say is like I didn't realize a lot of the invest there's a different investment community investing in these projects than you in someone who would invest. And so they they're okay with lower returns such as long as like it's so much of a or somewhat of a guarantee throughout like you said something like a prep power purchase agreement for 30 years like if you know you're gonna make call it eight to ten percent over the course of 30 years or like there's a like a 60 percent chance you're gonna get a 20 percent irr but you could lose your ass on all the rest of it like i i get the intent there and it's i guess if there's a healthy mix that's probably the best um but anyway no it's 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 interesting again to to hear your perspective i'm curious on the capital raising part um like what are the challenges in cap raising for say early stage versus middle market energy companies are you dealing with both or we do deal with both and i'll say there's huge demand for existing profitable middle market companies that have some sort of uh climate benefit it doesn't have to be that their whole company is around the climate but that they're doing something. Maybe they've got some software that makes the grid more efficient or something like that. So to any business owners that are out there that are family-run businesses, you've been running your company a long time, there's huge demand in the market for M&A activity in that space. Uh -huh. And that is what I would call a relative layup in this market. Where there's a lot of challenges is in the more of the venture capital and the early stage projects. And that's where it really takes an expert to be able to get the deal done. So we work a lot in venture capital. We also work in early stage development capital, which is an area that most investment bankers won't touch because it's it's pretty tough to get deals done. But hmm. that those, those are our segments. Right now, we're working on a project. I, I, I don't mention specific clients, but I'll say it's a hydrogen project based in central Pennsylvania. They just got selected under the ARCH2 initiative with the Biden Hydrogen Hubs um uh, initiative which is good so they're they're going to get a, a pretty significant grant as a result of that Great. that's a huge deal and we've been working to help bring strategic investors into that they're not at what's called notice to proceed yet so usually later stage there's project finance investors that are very comfortable coming in but that early stage development risk i see as a huge hole in the market that's stopping really good projects from getting built. 
slowly we're seeing more investors look at that space and understand how to invest in it. And mm. hopefully will be a, a really big source of, of value for developers in that in that segment. Super cool. What so what would you say is your I guess biggest headwind for continued growth or like some of the things, some say goals that you have with your teams that you're like constantly running up against the hill and it's like, golly, this is just driving me nuts. Like if we could have XYZ, this would be we would have you know, so much more scale or deal flow or, you know what I mean? Like what is, what is holding, holding up? Right now on deal flow, we have no limitations. We just have so many deals coming to us. What I would say is the limitation is the market right now, because we're in a, what's called a risk off environment because they've been raising interest rates. So, you right. know, where that term comes from is going back to the financial crisis is basically we've been in a risk on risk off type of a mentality when the Federal Reserve is lowering, lowering rates and printing money, it's risk on. Everybody wants to invest. Everybody wants to go public. Valuations go crazy. Then when yeah. the Fed pulls back and goes to a tightening cycle, which right now we're in like the mother of all tightening cycles because they've taken rates up so fast. Yeah. Um, the 30-year Treasury is, is higher than it's been, I think, in 25 years. And it happened so quickly. So you're in this major what you know what people call risk off cycle. So what that means is that a lot of venture capitalists are just sitting on their hands. They're mm -hmm. not moving forward. A lot of development capital investors, same thing, to a lesser degree, are being cautious. They're waiting for sort of the end of the tightening cycle. So I would say to the, to the degree that we can foster more patient capital, more long-term thinking and investors that'll come uh -huh. in invest regardless of sort of the interest rate cycle. Cause I mean, come on, this is a long-term business. It's going to be good for the next 20, 30 years. I don't, I don't really see the the logic in just waiting. So I'm, yeah. I'm a wait and see kind of a guy. It's kind of like people right now are like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to wait till, till interest rates go down before I go buy a home. And, and I understand everyone has, you know, their, their budgets and limitations, but the cheapest house you'll ever buy is the one you buy today. Cause next year it ain't going to be any cheaper, you know? And so it's, I, you know, I, I kind of laugh. And then the beautiful thing about being here in the U S is you can refinance at any time. I'm from Canada and you can't do that. So, but like, uh, again, there's opportunity. You just have to know how to find it and, and be okay with, you know, depending on what your risk tolerance is. But, um, I, what I was, I was going to ask you something as you were talking through that, um, Oh, geez, I, I forget. But oh, I remember. So would you say <clears throat> for a lot of the investors, just like, again, very on a generic level, are more into making a short term bag? Like, I know in oil and gas, it's like you, you, you want like these, these quick returns and you want to get in and get out and then do it again. But like you were saying in the sort of the, the, the climate investment community, like it's, it's a long term game, like are people would you say there's a shift in mentality or is it like not moving and you're having to like constantly try and like beat this into people's heads? Yeah, I would say people are waiting. And, but what it's done is a lot of the financial investors are are holding off and waiting for that risk on to come back, but it's opened up an opportunity for strategic investors. So we're having great conversations with some of the best, you know, name brand commercial companies that are making strategic investments in the space and you're 100% right. It is long-term. So once one of these investors comes in, they're usually going to be in the investment for five to seven years. So it's a long-term kind of a mentality. The other thing I'll highlight for the, for the audience out there looking for capital is there is a source of capital for just about every kind of deal, as long as it's a good deal. It's yes. just so segmented these days. You know, in the in in the old days, it would be, you know, let's say one investor would invest in lots of different deals. Now everything is very segmented. So that's where having a professional like myself, you know, shameless plug comes in handy because we know the the, the players personally. Right. So putting your your uh, crystal ball hat on, what would you say? Like, where where do you see the pivot in terms of interest rates? Like, again, just bsing here like are you think we're close to making a pivot i mean what do you think they're waiting on or you think we might be in this for the next year or two like what's your guess 
So the buzzword is black swan, right? I think it's going to take a black swan event to, to put us back into an easing cycle. That uh, black swan event could be anything, okay? It's because I, yeah. I, I, I've stopped trying to predict after COVID because who would have ever thought that happened? I'm not saying there's going to be another pandemic, but there'll probably be some black swan event. It could be, we saw a little bit with the Silicon Valley Bank meltdown. Right. A lot of people expected that to spread to the broader banking industry. If you saw a larger bank have some sort of a challenge, that would be a black swan event. If you had, you know, let's say, a, you know, a pandemic or we've got a couple of wars going on, those types of events, I think, would cause the Fed to pause. Everybody's been surprised with how much rate tightening that there's been, that the economy has been so resilient, that people yeah. still continue to hire things, continue to boom wages are going up, there's a shortage of labor, all these kind of things. I mean, if you would have asked most smart people, they're like, if the Fed raises rates that much, the economy is going to be in a, in a funk, but it hasn't happened. So yeah, no, it's crazy. I, I read this morning, I think our quarterly GDP growth was like, four something. Uh, or crazy. no, this, for this crazy. year, it's been four something, which is like, just been really strong. Yeah, but bonkers, if you think about it. But uh, I guess some of the like retailers were saying this, this, um, which was interesting. I forget whose earnings, they, like, I think it was Mattel and they had such a, they had a strong year so far, but then their outlook was kind of pessimistic towards the end of the year going into the holiday season. And so their stock price, I guess, dropped pretty hard. Um, but with, but regardless, you know, so there's a little bit of hesitancy with like this, it's not going to keep going. But the reality is, it's like it's done pretty well. So I mean, to your point, all of a sudden they took a pivot. Like, I think it would it, it, we'd be in such an inflationary environment; it'd be crazy because a lot of stuff hasn't. Well, some stuff has come down, but um, anyway, it's 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 fascinating to see. A year ago, I would have never guessed we'd be where we're at today. But I mean, I'm definitely nobody not. predicted. It was a, it's a tough thing to predict. I know some people that were short treasuries and they've done very well, but. Uh -huh. I mentioned Bill Ackman because he's he does this publicly on Twitter. Super smart guy to follow. Um, yeah. I think last I heard he covered his shorts on the on the short treasuries. So that means he thinks maybe the rate tightening is probably starting to slow down. But we'll we'll see what happens. No kidding. No, it's always every day presents a new new uh, adventure. <clears throat> you, I, I want to touch real quick on the M and A side. You you mentioned it, but. How do you typically evaluate potential M&A opportunities in the energy space? Is there sort of a criteria that you look at or? Yeah, for, no, absolutely. So we look for companies that have been around a long time. We we look for companies where typically where there's a founder led company where the founder is still running the business, you know, um, we're not trying to come in and compete with other private equity funds. So if it's already private equity owned, we're usually not going to get involved. So we're looking for founder run companies where the founder is very dynamic. He's built a niche business. Ideally, he has customers like utilities or those types of customers that are very credit worthy, very long run customers. Ideally, it's either tech product or software focused as opposed to service focused, if that okay. makes sense. So why is that? Um, well, services businesses are hard to scale and they tend to be lower margin. And especially founder-run services companies, a lot of times if the founder decides to retire, you've got an issue because he's sort of running that shop with an iron fist and he's getting these guys motivated. If he's gone, that personality leaves yeah. and it's very difficult to run the business. Um, but with product-led companies, it tends to be easier to transition to the next generation, whether the founder has kids or the founder wants to bring in an outside person to run it. So yeah, that, that's what we look for. And then we also look for some kind of angle that can be somewhat climate focused. So I'll give you an example. One company we really love is, is this filtration company. They've got a division that focuses heavily on renewable natural gas. It's growing like weeds. So we love that business. Even though the RNG side of it is a small percentage, we think that can grow significantly. So we really love that, that kind of a company. And it's founder-owned the kids are probably going to take over and run it. Love those kind of businesses. I mean, are, are there a ton that you're having to sift through or are there like, are there, is that more of like a diamond in the rough type of thing? No, there's a lot out there, believe it or not. And, and pretty huh. heavy in the, in the energy sector. Now, certain segments like, you know, of course, cloud software, like PE funds are all over. So a lot of those are, are no longer independent, but we still see some. And um, we, we have what are called buy side mandates with two large companies 
that have hired us to basically bring them deals. And so that's one thing we bring to the table because we can get deals done a lot faster with those kind of mandates as opposed to having to charge the company to work with them. Uh, makes sense. Um, <clears throat> going back, I know I'm kind of back and forth, but going back to the capital raising side, I'm curious if you if you can, you don't have to give in the details, but can you share any successful capital raising strategies that have worked in the current uh, economic environment? Yeah, for sure. What what I would say is, is you have to really know your audience very well. Do not spray and pray. So if you're a wow. company and you want to do fundraising on your own, take the time to look at the funds with, with LinkedIn. And we use a tool called Crunchbase as well on the venture side. We use a tool called PitchBook on the private okay. equity side. Those tools are, are well worth it if you're trying to raise capital on your own. Take the time, make a short list, and then go out with a very laser-focused approach. That would be, across the board, my number one piece of advice. You see a lot of spam these days, a lot of just untargeted LinkedIn stuff, and yeah. investors are sensitive to that. So you really need to give them a pitch that shows that you understand what they, because most of these funds say right on their website exactly what their criteria is. And so just make sure that you spend the time to build that list initially. It takes more work up front, but I'd rather see a company have 20 names where they know those investors would invest, could invest in their company, and mm. then spend the time to open those doors. Most investors are so busy. Like, so yeah. if you send them one email and they don't respond, that's not a no. Like you have to email them, call them, maybe meet them up at a trade show, take your time. And that's why doing that upfront work matters because if you know those 20 names are good for you, it makes sense to spend more time trying to open the doors. So, you yeah. know, broadly do your homework and be persistent. That's, I mean, that's, those are great actionable takeaways. I mean, do, do you find a lot of people just spray and pray or like how much, like generally speaking, are most people very strategic or is it more like I'll just grab any straw you can and hope for the best? Yeah, most people spray and pray. And unfortunately, because uh, so much data is available now, you know, you can go on LinkedIn and pull up, you know, run a, a LinkedIn sales nav search and pull up a list of all the investors in private equity and, you know, blast the whole list. Right. But, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, the Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility. Like just because yeah. you have access to that data doesn't mean you should be using it. So, you know, yeah. spend the time to sort the filter and keep going and keep going and then go to the company's website, read what they actually invest in and just yeah. be targeted in your approach. Yeah, no, I man, I see it like not even just like, and that's an actually a really interesting example, but it's like even sales folks, like they'll just get on sales navigator and they'll just start... And it's like, dude, did you even read my LinkedIn profile? Like, I don't, A, I don't, I'm not in that space. And B, no, I don't need that service. Like nothing would lead you to believe that I do. And um, again, it's, it's <clears throat> people's like, oh, it's a numbers game. Well, yeah, but you're also like tarnishing your reputation if you do that multiple times. And so being strategic in the approach and, and again, it's like most people don't want to take the time. It's like investing, right? Like people don't want to put their money in S&P or whatever it is and wait 15 years or 20 years and get a nice return. It's like, no, I want to like flip this or make money in two days. And it's kind of like that thing. It's like, I'm just going to put out as much as possible and hope that someone reaches out. And um, it's, uh, you know, I've been in sales for since 2000, basically 12. And, you know, I, I definitely went through that phase, but as I kind of gotten older and realized it's like, yeah, I'm not, that's that's not quite the best approach. So on the cap raising side, hearing you say that is, uh, like I said, I mean, I can imagine people would go on LinkedIn, spend a little money on Sales Navigator, and just absolutely go nuts with sending stuff out and um, they go crazy. Yeah, and the, the the big issue is I think a lot of people focus on the appointment, right? But if you're having appointments with the wrong investor that can't invest in your deal anyway. You're just yeah. wasting your time because you're he can't even really give you good feedback. So I'd rather have fewer appointments, more quality appointments, a smaller list. I'm a big fan of the Dream 100 strategy, which is actually from Chet Holmes, is an old school sales uh, trainer. And okay. this works in sales, it works in investing, is make a list of your Dream 100 accounts and then just methodically work to penetrate those accounts. Maybe you have to reach out to multiple people and maybe you have to see what trade shows they go to. Maybe you got to send them a personal letter, but just focus on those and don't try to always 
broaden the number of accounts you're going after just yeah. on that list because if you you typically if you get in sales if you get like 20 of your dream 100 you're just going to crush your numbers so yeah you know, no, it's thing you only need one. So like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a term that I've used before is like for so long, we were volume over value. Um, and now it's value over volume in, in our business strategy in oil and gas. And, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, looking at, um, again, it's, it's, it's a game of chess, not checkers, right? It's, it's, but people are, it's checkers is so much easier to play, uh, instead of having to sit there and think and do your homework. But, uh, and that's, that's really it's fascinating, which kind of ties in. So <clears throat> we've got a, a group in oil and gas here. He's, he's a, he's a spokesperson for oil and gas. His name's Chuck Yates, a uh, good buddy of mine. Um, and he had a gentleman on talking about uh, raising capital for oil and gas deals and how difficult it is and like how many doors just get shut the minute you mention oil and gas. And so what they've realized is like, I need to, and to your to what kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation is like, we need to start creating content. We need to start educating. We need to start positioning ourselves as experts. We need to build a brand ultimately. Like we need to build a brand. So if anyone wants to invest money, like we're the ones and they know who we are, they trust us. They've seen our faces. So I think even that is like super important. It's one thing to, to kind of be a hunter and find the, find the, the investments. But it's another thing that's like, be the one that ever, if anyone thinks of climate banking, you're the only one because you've been out there for like the last two years, putting your face on everything, you know? Yeah. Hopefully it'll, it, it'll probably take 10 years. Right. But I think uh, that, yeah. that, that that's the goal is eventually get out there and then also, you know, brand our team as well. So we're, I absolutely could not do what I do without our team. Um, yeah. we we're six people and the other five people on their team, on the team do an amazing job they're just unbelievable yeah no it makes a huge difference and of course not everyone's there right like that that obviously there you have to allocate resources and there's some financial there that you have to to allocate but uh, nonetheless if once you can get there it's it's extremely important because you can't do it all yourself it's it's almost impossible I've, I've been trying and now i'm finally in a position where i don't have to but um real quick i'm curious on the sort of the educational and board involvement i think if i'm if I was looking at your LinkedIn correctly, you're on the board of directors for the Clean Energy Council and American Council on Renewable Energy. Is that correct? Not on the board. No, I'm not. Oh, not okay. Sure, um, what? Never mind. I may have I may have misread that. But are you involved with that to some degree? Aren't you or no? I don't think so. Ah, what the heck? Okay, never mind. I must have I must have misread that or saw something else. Aaron, never mind. Uh, we'll scratch that. <laughs> podcasting let's let's talk a little bit about podcasting um yep. can you share what your podcast is and kind of the mission behind that which you've kind of a lot you've kind of alluded to it but i'm curious no awesome bit. so um podcast is called energy superheroes and i appreciate you justin letting me plug it a little bit um yeah, we're on spotify um and the website is energy media um so if you just google energy media will come up the reason we came up with the name Energy Superheroes is a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's kind of like, hey, if we're going to do something to make a difference in this world, we need people that are going to step up and make a make a big difference. There's lots of what I would consider superheroes in tech that have that have been established over the last 30 years. You've got your Jeff Bezos, you've got your uh, Steve Jobs, you've got Bill Gates, all these guys right, that are game changers in the world of tech. Now we've got Elon Musk that I would argue is a superhero of energy, and we're going to need more of those folks to step up and make a difference. And the, the, the fact is that there are, those people exist. There's people in the energy sector that are doing amazing things, but the story just really isn't being told. So we're trying to tell the story of those people that are really making a huge difference in the, in the world of energy, because People don't realize it, but energy touches everybody. And it's, yeah. um, you know, I, I'll give a shout out to sort of energy poverty is really one of the biggest problems in the world. Um, people don't realize that cold kills a lot more people than heat. And the big problem is that a lot of people just, there's like 2 billion people that don't even have access to basic energy needs. And so um, yeah. if you want to address poverty and some of the real challenges in the world, we really need to lean on energy superheroes to to make that difference so that's that's what we're trying to do yeah no i love that so how long have you had the podcast running for 
Yeah, it's been a couple years. Um, it really, it, the originally became a brainchild in 2020 when COVID hit, because I'm thinking, man, they're going to shut down all the conferences. I spent a lot of years going to conferences, setting up massive trade booths when I was with Power Phase. You know, yeah. we, I think we brought a piece of equipment to a show. We wanted to start the equipment up on the show floor. We, lots of crazy stuff. So then when I saw COVID hit, I'm like, man, energy industry is one of the biggest, most intensive show, trade show industries we're gonna have to come up with these virtual shows so i originally started thinking about it from that standpoint and i was like man doing a trade show virtually is hard let me just do a (laughs) podcast i'm just gonna do that and yeah so then uh that's just where it it came from now we're doing a newsletter on linkedin called climate buzz we're adding another thing called deal sheet where we're going to put out the most important climate deals across across the industry, not deals that we work on, just across the board, just to get awesome. them out there and publish them. So those three areas, the the podcast, the newsletter, and the deal sheet, um, will make up our energy media website. And then hopefully coming in 2024, we're going to do a small in-person matchmaking deal conference, physical ah. conference, and we're going to do it there in Houston. So oh, um, cool. stay tuned for more. Yeah, man, that's exciting. Well, I I loved your guys' initiatives. I mean, you're obviously doubling down on the underpriced attention, i.e., online social media. Um, I love the newsletter piece. That that's something that a lot of people are trying to do. I've seen a lot of people try to do newsletters, but then ultimately they fall off big time because it's just it's hard to sustain it. Which most people try and do it on their own. You've obviously got a team, um, so that's awesome. But uh, if you can hear the lawnmower in the background, is it loud? Can you hear that? It's not loud. No, I can. Bet. Okay, they're almost done. But uh, yeah, sorry for the audience. I'll have to figure out how to edit that out. But great no, timing. I don't think you'll have to edit it. It's no big, and that's part of the fun of doing these things. I've had some crazy stuff happen on mine, <laughs> especially at home, man. I've got a oh, four-year-old yeah. and a, and an eight-year-old, and the and the eight-year-old respects daddy's office, but the four-year-old man during yeah. COVID, he was like two, obviously, and it's like it's playtime like daddy's home there's no boundaries and so man i've had like all kinds of stuff happen but anyway that wasn't too bad um so kind of wrapping things up here what so if you were to project into the future i mean with 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 who you're working with right now like what what does the future of energy investing look like What, what would you what does that picture look like Yeah. So one thing is it's going to be more tech enabled. I think you're going to see more of these platforms spring up where people, where buyers and sellers are be able to connect more efficiently. Right. And so um, we're, we're watching that space very closely. We're constantly trying to get more efficient at what we do. I would also say that there's going to be trillions of dollars that flow into building new and innovative projects all across the energy sector. I think it's, the, the United States has been dramatically underinvested in, in terms of infrastructure, dramatically yeah. underinvested. We've spent so much money building infrastructure overseas, but we've spent very little in our own infrastructure here in the U.S. And then lastly, I'll say we want to be long power. And the reason is because mm-hmm. of AI. So I'll give you I'll give your audience a quick stat right now. Data centers represent about one point five percent of total global power demand. That's going to 20% as a result of AI and the growth of data centers, the need for digital infrastructure. And of course, that's going to take more power. So we're we're super long infrastructure, long power. And we just say we think trillions and trillions of dollars are going to flow this way over the next, call it 30 years. Fascinating. Well, uh, do your homework, folks. You've heard it here. Mr. Peter's got uh, some really good insight. And again, it's been fascinating. And, And the last question I have, Peter. Uh, it's a little more on the personal side, just to get a little bit to, to know more about yourself. But um, what's something that not many people know about? I mean, I listen to your podcast, you guys get straight to business, but like, what's kind of a unique hobby? Or what's kind of something about yourself that not many people get to hear about? Well, no, probably nobody hears this except my friends. I just got married. I married a beautiful Ecuadorian. Um, we got married. Congratulations, man. Thank you very much. And uh, Thank you. yeah. We got married in Ohio. I'm a I'm a product of Cleveland, Ohio. So we wanted to go back to the roots there. And, um, you know, we wow. had an amazing wedding. hundred people were there. And then we went on our honeymoon in Hawaii and I just got back. So man, look at you. 
Holy smokes, all all kinds of crazy fun stuff happening at the at the Perry home. Yeah, absolutely. That is great. Well, I uh, really appreciate it, um, Peter. So besides the obvious, I'm going to put uh, your your link, your LinkedIn link in the show notes, the websites. Um, is there any, are there anywhere else that you create content or if people want to hear more? Different no, I platforms? appreciate that very much. Would love it if people could follow us on Spotify um, and yes. link, LinkedIn. We put out the vast majority of our of our non-podcast content on LinkedIn. We put out podcast clips there. So hit me up on LinkedIn. I I read every single DM I get and uh, appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Well, for the audience, connect with Peter. Uh, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I encourage you to reach out. And last thing, Peter, if, if there's an ideal avatar out there that needs to connect with you to like get, get some things going, what does that ideal perspective or prospect look like for you? No, absolutely. So we are really looking hard for good energy transition projects. So if you're a developer, you've built a project before, we love battery, we love RNG, we love hydrogen. We, we're even looking for, for nuclear. We think that's going to start coming to the fore. So any guys that have, know how to build projects that have got stuff done in the past, we'd love to talk to you. Perfect. Well, then uh, hopefully your inbounds get heavily here. And for everyone out there, appreciate the support. Let's always make sure we're approaching the energy landscape with a radically open mind. Be kind and always remember that everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. Have you ever thought about what a podcast could do for your B2B business? Well, you might be surprised by the benefits it could offer. Firstly, podcasts provide an amazing opportunity to establish your brand as an industry thought leader. By sharing your insights, experiences, and expert opinions, you position yourself as an authority, gaining the trust and the respect of your audience. Secondly, hosting a podcast is a fantastic way to engage your customers on a deeper level. It's not just about promoting your products and services, it's about providing value through engaging content, fostering strong relationships, and loyalty among your listeners. Oh, and did I mention networking? Yes, that's a huge part. Podcasts are an incredible networking tool. When you interview guests from your industry, you're not only creating valuable content, but you're also building relationships that can lead to future partnerships and collaborations. But we know starting a podcast can feel daunting. I've had several people reach out to me lately asking how to create a podcast, and that's where I'm going to try and come in and help. I'm here to help you navigate the podcast world. Reach out to me for a 15-minute call where we can discuss your podcasting ambitions. Whether you're starting from scratch or simply looking to improve your existing show, I'm here to help. And guess what? I have a playbook too, a step-by-step -step guide to launching a successful podcast, and I can't wait to share it with you. This playbook has everything from topic brainstorming to technical setup to effective promotion strategies, all the essentials for a thriving podcast. So why wait? Get in touch today and let's embark on this podcasting journey together. After all, your voice deserves to be heard. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or getting started. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Peace.